This morning's reading is from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 28. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block for me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please sit down. Brother Steve. Hey, thank you, Russ. Uh, good morning, everybody. And, I, I, you know, it is so great to be with you, to have you here in person and, and others of you online. And I just want you to know that I love you all. Let's pray. Oh, great and gracious God, our hearts go out to you today. And we're thinking of our Asian-American neighbors, many of whom right now are are trembling in fear because of the recent murders in Georgia. And Lord, maybe even here in our community, they're worried about copycat crimes. And so we ask that you will protect them and inspire all of us to stand together in unity. And Lord Jesus, we are here today because we want to know you for who you are, not just as we wish you to be, Teach us your ways so that we can see you more clearly, 
love you more dearly, follow you more nearly day by day. Amen. Well, this is the fifth Sunday of Lent and the fifth Sunday of our series, This is Jesus. And we are walking together through um, the, uh, the first book of the New Testament, which is a biography of Jesus called The Gospel According to Matthew. And I am so, I just want to say, I'm so proud of, of so many of you because you are reading uh, two or three pages a day through Dr. Ben's book about uh, Matthew's gospel. And then you're in, many of you are in groups as well. And you're talking about how to live every day as his disciples. And what we're finding is that Jesus is not maybe as simple as we thought. You know, I think it's so easy to create him in our own image, isn't it? But then when we read the Gospels, we find somebody who just keeps surprising us, keeps puzzling us. Sometimes we find him comforting, and sometimes we find him strangely disturbing. Today's scripture is a, a turning point for Jesus and his disciples in the gospel, but it's more than that. It's also a geographical turning point. And today I've got a map for you. Here it is, just because I love maps. And uh, Jesus has spent most of his ministry in the uh, uh, region of Galilee to the west of the lake there. And then he, then he takes his disciples on a retreat. It's a couple days walk north uh, near the city of Caesarea Philippi. That's at the top of the arrow there. And after that, Jesus and his disciples, then they will return home to their base at Capernaum. And then they'll go south into Judea to just east of Judea across the river. And then they'll head west to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And that's where the crowds will shout, Hosanna, Jesus comes riding in on a donkey. So you can see that there at the top in the north, Caesarea Philippi is sort of that turning, that turning point geographically. Where everything comes back down to Jerusalem. And it's here in Caesarea Philippi that Jesus pops this question in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, the disciples know when, when he says Son of Man is talking about himself. The phrase Son of Man could be just a way of talking about a human person, a male individual. Sometimes in the Old Testament, that's how it's used. And, and I imagine that when some people heard Jesus use that phrase, that's what they thought, Right? But later on, Jesus will make it clear that he uses the title Son of Man according to Daniel chapter 7. It prophesies someone like a son of man who will come with the clouds of heaven and approach the presence of God. The Son of Man will be given glory, authority, and power to rule the nations, and people of all nations will worship him. But for now, people are wondering, who is he? What is he? Everybody has an opinion about this miracle-working teacher. So when Jesus asked his disciples what people are saying about him, they all pull out their smartphones and look on social media. Hashtag, who is Jesus? 
or something like that. Verse 14 condenses the conversation. They replied, some say John the Baptist, that is, John returned from the dead because he's been executed by Herod Antipas. Others say Elijah. Elijah was a prophet who was supposed to return one day. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Well, I kind of look at that as the icebreaker question for their small group discussion that day. Then in verse 15, Jesus goes deep. I imagine him looking directly into their eyes. But what about you? Who do you say I am? And the emphasis in the, in the original Greek is on you. But you. But you. Who do you say I am? Have you ever asked a question in a class or a group and suddenly the room goes silent? I had that happen to me on Zoom this week. <laughs> I thought I'd lost my connection, you know. But I imagine Jesus letting that question hang in, hang in the air for a while. Nobody, speak, nobody speaks up because nobody wants to get it wrong. Finally, Simon can't stand it any longer, and he blurts out. He was good at blurting out. Matthew 16, 16 is a verse worth remembering. Will you say it with me? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You know, I think Peter's uh, sentence there would be just a great, an awesome confession of faith to meditate on. Don't you? You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. What does that mean? The word Messiah, uh, Christ in the Greek, is a royal title. It refers to the anointed king, and not just any king, but the promised deliverer king, the one who would bring the new exodus and set Israel free from its enemies. That was the people's expectation of the Messiah. Son of God could also be a royal title. A king of Israel was sometimes called a son of God, not in the sense that he was divine or anything, but in that he had a special relationship with God, uh, that he was God's second in command, so to speak. And adding living, son of the living God, it was a way of contrasting Israel's God with the gods of the Greeks and the Romans. And yet, in Matthew's gospel, we find the, son of God, the phrase son of God to be more than just a kingly title. It means that Jesus is not like any other person. Somehow he fully represents the Father in heaven. So uh, the meaning of the titles Son of Man and Messiah and Son of the Living God, I find that they have a good bit of overlap in them. But they probably all mean more than, than Simon uh, can realize at the moment. Still, He's taken a very important step in his faith. Today, I want to share the heart of the message in two parts. And here's the first part. Jesus builds his church with all who confess him as the reigning Messiah. Let's say that together, shall we? 
Jesus builds his church with all who confess him as the reigning Messiah. And then in verse 18, uh, Jesus gives Simon a nickname. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter. And on this what? Say it with me. On this rock, I will build my church. I am old enough to remember the wacky fad of 1975, the pet rock. Some of you remember that. Your rock came in a little cardboard box with holes so the rock could breathe and a little nest inside for the, box, for the rock to sit on, and you could pet it. The guy who came up with this sold a million of them for $4 each. Today, pet rock is the name. You didn't know this, Polly, did you, about the pet rock, Right? Today, Pet Rock is the name of a touring 70s cover band. And they have two shows at the Slowdown next month. <laughs> in case you wanted to know. I say that because the word Peter means rock. As far as we know, rock was never used as a name before this. Back then, rocks were not pets, nor were they bands. They were building material. Jesus is saying, Simon, you are a rock, so I'm calling you Rocky, and, and on this rock I will build my church. And Jesus did build his church on Simon the Rock. You know, at the, at the next Pentecost festival in Jerusalem after Jesus' resurrection, who speaks to all the Jews who had gathered there at, the, at Jerusalem and tells them about Jesus and 3,000 of them believe and are baptized? Simon Peter. Later, Philip the deacon brings the message about Jesus to Samaria, and many Samaritans believe, but the Holy Spirit doesn't come upon them. So who do they send for? Simon Peter and his right-hand man, John, and they lay their hands on the New Samaritan believers who then received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When it's time for Gentiles, that is, non-Jews, to learn about Jesus, who does God send? Simon Peter. Simon tells Cornelius and a whole household of his, house full of his friends and family about Jesus, and they believe and are filled with the Spirit. It was true then, and it's true today, Jesus builds his church with all who confess him as the reigning Messiah. So with all three sets of people, Jews, Samaritans, Gentiles, Simon is instrumental in getting it started. He is the rock that Jesus uses to build his church. Interestingly, what we don't find in the Bible is Simon acting like a pope. We don't see him holding office. We don't see him ruling the church. So in all of verse 18, Jesus says this. Here's the rest of it. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. You know, that might have been especially poignant in Caesarea Philippi because there was a river there that emerged from an underground stream. Legend has it that that river came from the underworld, the gates of the dead, and the mythical river Styx. Hades 
is an actual Greek word just transliterated into English. Hades means the grave, the underworld, the place of the dead. So I think Jesus is saying that his church will endure. Even when the powers of evil persecute his people, even when many are martyred, the church will not be overcome. Death will not stop it. It will endure. You know, it's also uh, interesting, I think, that when you read the Old Testament, you never find the word church. Did you know that? It's not there. So when you hear it from Jesus' lips right here in Matthew 16, it, it seems like he's, maybe he's invented an, a whole new word, but that's not the case. It's just kind of a weird fluke in the translations. The same word is used in the Old Testament, but there it's translated assembly or gathering. It's the assembly of the people of Israel. And that's probably how we should translate that word in the New, Test New Testament as well, but we're already pretty well tied to the word church, and they just keep it. Notice here that also Jesus calls it, he says, my church. And you know, folks, that is true for Faith Westwood. We are Jesus's church. Now, it's okay to say that Faith Westwood is your church because if you belong to this church, but the church belongs to him. It's not ours. It's his. We call ourselves United Methodist, which is fine. I've been a Methodist all my life. But our, our denominational identity is not essential. And many of you have come from other denominations as well. Um, we are, most of all, foundationally, we are an assembly of his people. We confess him as the reigning king. And then, in verse 21, Jesus says something that they never imagined that a reigning Messiah would say. He says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, must as in it's God's will, and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. You know, I've been reading this stuff for a long time, and I finally come to, to believe that the, the disciples probably assume that the third day was Jesus's code language for the end of the age, when, when Jews believed that all the dead would be raised to life. They could not imagine an individual being being raised prior to that. And of course, they're really shocked to learn that Jesus believes he's going to Jerusalem to die. Whoever heard of a reigning Messiah who suffers and gets killed before his reign begins? So now, we're ready to add the second part to the heart of the message. Will you say it with me? Here it is. Jesus builds his church with all who confess him as the reigning Messiah and follow him as the suffering Messiah. If we only know Jesus as one or the other, reigning or suffering, then we don't really understand Jesus. You know, I would say in our time, 
we probably focus more on the suffering Jesus. You know, the crucifixes and the, the movies of, about Jesus and his passion and all that. But the focus for first century Jews was on the reigning Messiah. They didn't conceive of a suffering Messiah. They wanted their Messiah to be a conquering king, but, but Jesus takes a path they do not expect. His triumph will come through suffering. Simon Peter, full of bravado, after answering the previous question correctly, reacts with fury in verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Peter's not about to let Jesus be killed, not on his watch. He's ready to take up a sword and storm Jerusalem if he needs to. <laughs> but he's about to learn that Jesus has a fury of his own, and Jesus gets in Peter's face with it. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You know you're in big trouble when that happens, right? When Jesus looks into your eyes and says that. Then he says, you are a stumbling block to me. So Peter goes from being the rock on which the church is built uh, to being a stumbling block in one hot minute. And we're, we're kind of like Peter, aren't we? We don't understand Jesus the first time around. We have to keep learning. And we have to keep unlearning our natural human point of view. And then Jesus says that not only will he suffer and be killed, those who belong to him must be prepared for similar treatment. Verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Huh. I can imagine the disciples taking a big gulp when they hear this. Deny ourselves it means choosing his way over our way. Take up our cross. That means we keep following him even if we have to die for it. And that would happen one day to Simon Peter and to most of the others. You see, Jesus is letting them know that being his disciple is not a hobby. It's not just a religion you belong to. It's not about going to church. It is a deep, daring, daily life with Jesus in charge. And that means we share in his sufferings as well as his blessings. Jesus builds his church with all who confess him as the reigning Messiah and follow him as the suffering Messiah. Following Jesus means that, that we live a life that is shaped by the cross. It means we live a sacrificial life, right? We live a life that the, the rest of the world may not understand. Jesus said that the same people who hated him will hate us. You know, I look back on my life and I've made some sacrifices for following Jesus. I can't say that I've suffered a whole lot. 
But I also can see that times are changing. Those who stay true to Jesus may be persecuted by the politically far right and the politically far left. We may be slandered, insulted, excluded. We may be ridiculed, taken to court, abandoned, and that's okay. Jesus said it would happen. We prepare ourselves for that possibility. And today, Jesus asks you the question he asked his disciples, but you, you, who do you say I am? And he's waiting for your response. What will, what will your answer be? Will it be just sort of a quick, automatic, you know, off-the-cuff answer that doesn't really matter much to you? Or will you stake your life on it. But you, who do you say he is? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your question from 2,000 years ago still rings in our hearts. And now, as we pray, let's each of us take a moment to let his question personally address us when he asks, who do you say I am? Father in heaven, reveal to us the identity of this person Show us what it means that he is son of man, son of God, Messiah. And now I invite you to tell Jesus in your own words that you want to follow him. That you will take up your cross, whatever that might mean, and lay down your life as a living sacrifice for him. Tell him now. For some of you here today, this might be the first time you've expressed something like that in prayer to Jesus. And if that is the case, I would invite you right now to seal that commitment by slipping up your hand for a moment just right now. Would you do that so I can see you and we can give th thanks for what God is doing in your life? Thank you. Thank you. Lord Jesus, we rejoice that uh, we can come to you as we are, weak, sinful, broken, confused, and you receive us. 
We don't have to come with uh, any pedigree or um, any list of accomplishments, any resume of righteousness. And yet, Lord, you take us and you shape us into your disciples. Lord, we want to know you for who you are, the reigning Messiah, the suffering Messiah. We pray in your great name. And all God's people said,